Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Superlight Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Might we get a little waft of Indian summer over the week? You'd never know. We'll keep the fingers crossed. Good morning, 1850-715-996 is the number. As always, the text or WhatsApp, 83 The email, opinion at 96mm.ie. All over the city and county, there are fingers poised over keyboards and over tablets and over phones and over any kind of a way to get into the Leaving Cert portal and I hope against hope against hope and hope that it doesn't do what so many systems do in Ireland when they come under a bit of pressure. I sincerely hope it doesn't crash. And at seven minutes past nine, I hope that everybody gets an opportunity to get their results, look at their results, take them on board. And you know what? They're the most unusual results. They're the strangest results. They're results that follow no pattern at all. They're just the unique results of 2020. They're your results. Take them and do with them what you will. And you know what? If you're not happy with them, you can always sit a written exam later in the year. But good luck to everyone. And I hope that what you get this morning is what you des- what you deserve, what you expected. And I hope that it just gets rid of all the anxiety and the nervousness and the worry of the last few weeks and months. We will come back to it because it's the big story of the day. But first of all, I want to start by going to Anne Mooney of The Irish Sun. A most disturbing story from the courts uh, last evening. Anne, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Tell me about Mr. Noel Barry. Well, uh, this was, uh, Noel Barry was brought before a special sitting court, court district court uh, last night, PJ, and he was charged with sending messages that were grossly offensive and menacing uh, to uh, Noel Blair on September 4th last now, as you know, Noel Blair is the father of um, the 20-year-old college student Cameron Blair, who was stabbed at a house party on the Bandon Road in Cork um, on January 16th last and uh, died uh, in Cork University Hospital. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he, it, was, it, was, it was an absolutely um, horrendous uh, time for the family. 
Um, uh, but for them to receive, uh, to allegedly receive um, calls of the nature that was described at court last night um, was absolutely horrifying and was described by Judge James McNulty um, as wicked. Um, he, uh, the, the uh, Noel Barry, um, who's 46 and who lives in Toker, um, was... Uh, allegedly uh, making calls. He made um, four calls to the Barry family um, on the night of September the 4th. Um, The first one, um, Mr Blair answered um, and uh, listened to to threats. The second one, he didn't answer. Um, and the third and fourth he answered. Uh, the, one of them was fully recorded, another one was partially recorded, and uh, he contacted the Gardaí and handed over all the material that he had. Right. Um, now, Gardaí, obviously, because it was so serious, immediately um, began an investigation and recognised the phone number uh, that was supplied to them. And as a result of that, um, Noel Barry was... Um, was called to Toker Guard Station and was um, um, spoken to by Gardaí, interviewed by Gardaí, um, and that resulted in his court appearance last night. Um, the threats were, to say the least, um, menacing and uh, conveyed to the family that uh, they were going to be seriously harmed or um, or even killed, mm-hmm. and um, the one one was particularly um, terrifying in relation to the the family's uh, only remaining child, um, their son Alan, who was just eighteen, um, and because of the calls, his father had taken aside and tell him about them and to warn him to be aware of any suspicious activity uh, that might be happening uh, near him. Okay. So, um, so uh, the Gardaí uh, asked for a remand uh, in custody um, because they said that uh, they believed that um, the, the cause may reoccur if, uh, if Mr uh, Barry was released. Um, and uh, the judge said that... Um, he wasn't going to let that happen, and he said the calls were of genuine concern for the Blairs, and he didn't want them. Um, if there was a possibility uh, of them being repeated, he didn't want that to happen. So uh, he actually remanded Lord um, Barry to appear before the court again this morning um, for his colleague. Judge Kelleher to deal with it. Did Mr Barry or his solicitor, Eddie Burke, say anything during the course of this, Anne? Uh, no, Mr Barry said nothing. Um, uh, Eddie Burke applied for free legal aid and uh, he told the court that Barry was on disability as he was suffering from osteoporosis and that application was granted. Okay, okay. it's an, an upsetting story. And you say it's back in court this morning. Back in court this morning. All right. yes. If there is any follow up, we'll come back to it. Thank you very much, Anne Mooney of The Irish Sun, 1850 Just reading from other newspapers, uh, Mr. Blair uh, was told that during the calls he was warned his family would never be safe. He was told to get his loyalist friends, though they could sort this out, on the streets of Shankill Road. 
give me a break. That's back before the courts this morning. If there are any further developments, we'll certainly bring them to you. Uh, Finn says, horrible to hear about that stress brought back to the Blair family. 1850-715-996. I told you. I told you. It's on social media. Katie and Fergal with us this morning, by the way, on the executive research desk. And uh, is that Katie saying we're seeing on social media that the portal has crashed? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the indoor self-service laundrette. Now at the Junction Vickers Road. Open every day to save you time and money. Selfservicelaundry.ie And finally, uh, as you said earlier, Robert Pattinson has got coronavirus, so they've halted the filming of The Batman. The trailer's out, so the majority of the film uh, has been filmed. Hang on a second, coronavirus came from a bat, so it shouldn't affect him really. Oh yeah, he's immune, just <laughs> <laughs> Casey and Ross in the morning. Cork's 96 FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 On Courts 96 FM. All the newspapers uh, full of the stories early this morning as you got up that uh, Leaving Cert students had received a record number of CAO points as the calculated grades had seen results soaring across the board. I'm reading from the examiner, which embargoed it until 6am. Jess Casey writing on the front page, with more students opting for higher level this year, more than one in four of grades awarded was a H1 or H2, carrying a minimum of 88 points. 9% of grades were H1s, so very, very high scores. And didn't we hear during the week as well that in the final calculation of all of this, the Department of Education had rounded down a lot of grades awarded by teachers themselves before coming up with the final results published this morning on the online portal, which we are seeing, anecdotally anyway, nothing official, we are seeing that has crashed uh, if there's anything behind that, I'll let you know. But at the moment, we're seeing people are having trouble getting into it. Let's talk to one man who'd promised to come to us this morning. Rory Fitzpatrick, good morning. Hi. Good did, morning. You, did you get in, Rory? Yeah, I did, yeah. I wasn't. Uh, I, I saw that some people were having problems with it. How did you do? Um, I did all right. I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm happy enough with this. I would have, if we sat the exams, I'd say I would have I respected higher. Right. Right. Now, you spoke to me on Friday. You you want to go to UCC to Biological and Chemical Sciences. Yeah. Based on last year's points, will you make it? Based on last year's points, I'd get it by a point, yeah. But um, this year's results, I'm not sure, because if everyone's inflated, and I would say I don't think my results would are, are that inflated, uh, I, I, I might be one of the other percent. But um, on that kind of basis, I'd say maybe not. Probably not. Based on... But if it's going up, because yeah. every, if everyone, if most results are up, yeah. and then the courses will be up as well. Points yeah. will be up on that. And I know it's... And, 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 and as a fellow said, it doesn't really matter, it's academic, whether or not you had done it. But if you had done it, do you think you'd have bettered or matched the results in front of you this morning? Uh, I'd say I would have bettered them, yeah. yeah. Um, not no, not by... Uh, in a huge amount, but I'd say I would have. I, de- I definitely would be. If I'd sat them, I would, I would have been slightly disappointed with this. 
Yeah. How do they compare with your mocks, for example? My my mocks, they were up from then, but I had a very I got sick halfway I got sick halfway through the breeze and I uh, I really, really mangled those. Yeah. I'd say I could could have come into it even. Right, right. So yeah. nervous few days now. When are the points out? When is the first round of places offered? Uh, I'm actually not sure. Yeah. <laughs> Everything everything's <laughs> off kilter. I think it's a, uh, week, it's a week or so. Yeah, yeah, about a week's time, yeah. 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 So what will you do now for the rest of the day? Do you just, I mean, there's, there's not like you can go out and celebrate, really, can you? Oh, yeah, I'm going for a surf. Are you? There might not be waves, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're going surfing, are you? Yeah, I, I'll give it a try. Is it a nice morning for a surf? I suppose it is if you're into it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, look, congratulations anyway, you've done it. And you can always say you did your leaving in 2020 when... And it was the most the leaving that'll be that'll be talked about forever. Congratulations, yeah, like and, I, and I really do hope that um, I really do hope that it comes good for you. Yeah. All right. Cheers. Cheers, Rory. Congratulations. Thank you very much. It's over now, so that at least he's got that much relief behind him. We've got six boys. I'm hearing here six boys on six hundred and twenty-five points, uh, and two of them have eight H ones. Is that nationally or local? Oh, this is in Christians. We're trying to get someone from Christians. We hear that six boys in Christians have 625 points. Eight, two of them have eight H1s. Remember, these are the calculated grades. Just getting back to our first story with Anne Mooney. This is an email that came in to opinion at 96fm.ie. I went to bed deeply disturbed last night over Noel Barry and his evil thinking. The Blair family have been through so much. And for the man to behave this way is one of those moments in life that leave you speechless, furious and dumbstruck all in one. And the man needs to be punished. And punished hard. 1850-715996. Am I ready to go to line five, Fergal? I'll take, I'll take June. I'll take a break. I'll take, and we'll go to line five then. Thank you. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Junction, Vickers Road, Supermarket, Solid Fuel Depot and a self-service laundrette. Your one stop for everything. The Takeover. On Cork's 96FM. Weeknights from seven on the big drive home. We give you the chance to take charge of our tunes. Join me, Lorraine, as you decide what songs we fire up. What we play. See our song list on 96FM Insta Story. This is Court's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 On Court's 96FM. Think the people are getting into the portal now on their first or second, second or third attempt. It mightn't always work the first time, but keep going. You'll get in there. And I suppose as the morning progresses, more people will get the results. Kate says they'd be better off going to the schools to collect them. See, you can't. I don't think they can. I I don't think the schools have actually gotten all of them to hand like would happen in previous years. David Lorden is the principal at Christians up the road from us here. David, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Is that the case? Did, Did you get all the results or do people have to go to the portal for them? 
Well, the arrangement is that from nine o'clock this morning, uh, students uh, should be able to access uh, on the EasyNet portal, the calculated grades portal, they should be able to access their results. Uh, schools have access to it as well from nine o'clock. Um, and uh, again, obviously, there's going to be a lot of pressure on the system now this morning as, uh, you know, uh, up to 60,000 uh, students try to access results uh, around the same time. But obviously, look, that that's, that's, that's the system that's in place for this year, given yeah. the, the particular circumstances that we're in. So you've had a look... I have indeed, and we're uh, we're absolutely thrilled with the results this morning. Uh, again, um, uh, very much. It was the the, uh, the 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 message was that the results are very much uh, consistent with the previous year's uh, results here in the school. We have uh, six students on the maximum 625 points this morning, including two students on eight H1s each, um, and uh, 18 students in total over the 600 points mark. So again, that's a fantastic uh, result, fantastic achievement for the boys, and. And again, it was a testament to, the, to all the hard work uh, that went on uh, with our teachers uh, over the last few months and, and years indeed, because I suppose that's what we have to remember is that this isn't just the culmination of a few months, uh, you know, in, in uh, strained circumstances. This is the culmination of up to six years work for the boys. And it's great to have that work acknowledged now this morning. In terms of comparing it, say, to the leaving of 2019 or 2018, the stats will the stats hold up consistently in terms of the standard? They will, and again, I suppose it's very hard to talk about something from a, from a national perspective when you are just looking at something within your own school context. I suppose that was one of the things that very much uh, this morning we've been we've been looking at, and we've been very keen to look at how the Leaving Cert class of 2020 compares to previous years. And I suppose that's what we're most gratified by this morning, that the results are consistent with uh, previous year's uh, achievement levels in the school. Um, last year, we had eight students on eight H1s. Uh, the year before, we had seven students on eight H1s. So, um, uh, on sorry, bigger than on 625 points. So, uh, the results this year are consistent with the previous years going back along. And again, I think that's very important um, um, because it's a, a validation, if you like, of, the, of, of, of their work. And it's very important that really that you know that that, that ability the boys had and the work that they had done uh, got properly acknowledged and that there was no shadow over it either is there a future for a calculated system david there's i suppose one of the the things around uh, the calculated grade system which was always a concern for uh, for people in the education sector was the changing role of the teacher uh, the, the teacher was effectively moving from advocate to judge um one of the whatever the flaws around the existing system as it uh, as it was uh, it, it was blind to to, to everything and, and uh, so I suppose what would, would want to be careful of is that I know senior cycle reform is, is, is underway and um, uh, the, the process of, of, of reviewing um, senior cycle is underway and uh, I suppose what we'd want to be careful of there is that we don't lose uh, some of the best aspects of the Leaving Cert process uh, in, in, you know, um, in, in uh, bringing about changes. But I think there are probably uh, there are a lot of things really in the cold light of day where we look at, uh, at the process and, and I'm sure there are a lot of kind of positive things that we take away from it as well. Um, uh, but uh, certainly I think we'd have to be careful not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. We're still a little bit at a loss to understand, aren't we, David? What exactly happened when you and your colleagues there sent up the, the, the calculated or the predicted results for the yeah. boys and then they got into the Department of Education. What kind of a standardisation system was used? Are, are we ever going to see that written down? Should we? 
Well, you're, you're right, PJ, in that we don't know uh, what the standardisation process uh, has, uh, you know, how, how that worked uh, at national level. And I know there have been calls on the Minister to, um, to uh, by uh, recently over the weekend now, to make that information public, uh, make the algorithm uh, public. Um, and I suppose really, you know, it, it, I think as the day goes on now and as the next few days go on, I think uh, we'll get a better understanding of um, what impact the national standardisation process has had on the calculated grades given by teachers and by schools. Um, next Monday, as you know, uh, the students will be able to uh, view the marks, uh, the, the grades that their schools assigned and that their teachers assigned. And that will give them a better uh, indication as to whether they uh, wish to appeal the process. Um, but it will also give us all a good indication as to what impact the standardisation process has had on uh, the calculated grades. Because So I think it's very much a, a watch and wait for the next week, and then I think we'll be in a better place to, mm. to, to answer that question. Because isn't it interesting, in previous years you always had, whether you got... 625 or 425 if you were happy you were happy if you weren't you weren't Um, but you were able to say well look I sat down and I wrote these exams and I answered these questions and that's the standard at which I was but this year it's all been designed effectively it's been done on on a computer It's, it's the transparency isn't there well, I suppose there has been a, the uh, calculated grade system was a very, very um, detailed system that the information and the guidance that came out and was given to schools was very uh, thorough and it had a, a lot of detail, an awful lot of angles and, and, and scenarios were considered. So the, the, the guidance that was given to schools was very detailed and I suppose the other thing which you have to remember is that teachers uh, uh, with having worked with students for up to six years, were very well placed to to know their students and to know what they were capable of. And I think that, um, you know, uh, notwithstanding the fact that, look, it was very different to previous years, they also did have that, um, uh, you know, uh, um, deep knowledge of their students, which perhaps uh, uh, mightn't have been available uh, to, uh, to, to the exams uh, process in previous years. No. Are there going to be enough places out there for people who have merited them? Uh, well, as as we know, uh, there's uh, again as announced uh, last week that there'll be up to another twelve hundred, twelve hundred and fifty places uh, being made available at third level for the high demand courses. Um, and uh, and again, I think that's very welcome uh, because uh, what was really important was that our uh, the students throughout the country have had a very very challenging few months. Uh, they've had to um, prepare for a radically altered. Uh, end, end result in terms of the the, the, the leaving cert and the type of leaving cert that they would be assessed under. Um, and uh, then, of course, all the, the anxiety and the speculation as to how that would go and whether the system would stand up uh, uh, under scrutiny. Um, so it was very, very difficult and, and challenging for them. So uh, we've always been of the view here in the school that um, the, the, that the boys shouldn't have to, and the students uh, nationally shouldn't have to suffer or be penalised for something that was not of their making. I mean, yeah. um, and and so I think it was very very welcome that additional spaces are going to be made available at our level. Um, uh, Friday, the CAO uh, results um, or offers will be will be uh, out, and then we'll uh, we'll know uh, whether what impact uh, this has had uh, and the the calculated grades uh, process has had on. Uh, on on points, but 
uh, again over the weekend uh, it would seem just in the media that that uh, uh, there is a general feeling that results would be uh, and CAO points would be largely in line with previous years and that the extra I- increase in availability of places will offset any p- uh, potential uh, grade inflation that's been reported about. Well, here's hoping it all works out to everyone's satisfaction because it's been such a, a stressful year for the class of, of 2020. It, David? It certainly has. Thank you very much. That's David Lorden, principal of Christians uh, from Road from us here off Wellington Road. Just as I said, it's 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 just anecdotal that people are having trouble getting into the portal. It's stable enough; it hasn't actually crashed yet, but it's sort of kicking people out the first time, maybe even the second time. What we're hearing is keep trying, keep trying. You will get in, and you will get your results. They they didn't. They have the the schools have access to them. But because of social distancing and all the restrictions uh, to do with that, people aren't able to collect them from the school like they always did. Siobhan says, my son Roger passed his results. We're so proud of him. Just waiting now on an offer from UCC. And you know what? For any parent or any youngster getting their results today, you know, it doesn't actually matter a tuppenny course how they were calculated. It doesn't matter a tuppenny course how they came to be what they are. That's your leaving cert. That's the leaving cert that you got this year. It doesn't define you. It doesn't say anything about you. These are the leaving cert results you've got. Hopefully you'll get the place you want or get on to do the career you want as a result of it. And if you're not happy, you can do a written exam later in the year or you can hang around for a little bit. It's not the end of the world. It's just a piece of paper or these days it's a few numbers on a screen and it matters not, of course. Talking to Carrie on uh, Friday. Hi, Carrie. Hi. Were, how are you? were you able to get in? Yes, I was. <laughs> are you happy? I'm delighted. Are you? Oh, yeah. I am. I'm so excited. Like, I did not expect that. Will you get the architecture that you wanted? Yes. Ah, well, I'm delighted yeah. for you. <laughs> I am too, thank you. Because you were, you were breaking it on Friday, weren't you? Oh, yes, I was. And you know what? Yesterday, I was like, oh, my God, I might just also, like, cry. <laughs> but I did get the point, so there's no need to cry. If if crying, then just happiness, you know? Yeah. Well, I'm, oh, I'm thrilled so for you. So when are the, when are the offers out now? Um, Friday, right. I think, yeah. um, or Monday. I'm not sure. Okay. You you don't care? <laughs> I honestly just don't care. Like, I have my point, so, like... It's, it's all good, you know? Yeah, because you, you were telling me on Friday and previously about the anxiety involved. And oh, yes. Yes. And I also, like, went on Twitter to, like, see how people are reacting. And they were, like, up at 4 a.m. just stressing out. And I was like, oh, God, those kids. Yeah. Did you sleep last night? I did. I actually fell asleep at, like, 10. Right. <laughs> so. And you were sitting over the, over the keyboard at 9 o'clock? Yeah. And was, was it hard to get into it? Did it behave itself? Oh, actually, um, like I got in, but my friends didn't because there was too many people. Yeah. Like the po- the points are actually were at like eight fifty five already there. So those that woke up at time had the chance, but others didn't. So okay. Um, okay. I mean, I understand that because there's like all people sixty thousand people trying to crash in at once. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm so thrilled for you because I, I, you were so nervous on Friday and back earlier in the summer 
you were fit to throw your hat at it and walk <laughs> away from the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and you didn't oh. think that your teachers would be as kind to you as you'd like. Yeah, and obviously, obviously, they had to be for you to get to get these results. Oh yeah, maybe you were more popular in in, the, in school than you thought you were. Well, I don't think so. Like, I'm generally surprised. Like, my worst subject, I passed easily, and I was like, whoa. I might just be smart, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's a possibility in itself. So that's great. The relief is, I can hear, actually, I can hear the relief in your voice. Yeah. I really can. Yeah. I really can. Well, I'm thrilled for you, and, and best of luck with the next stage, and uh, the offers will hopefully arrive Friday or Monday. Yeah. <laughs> Look after yourself. Thank you. Cheers, Thank Carrie. you so whether, much. Have you, I mean, how do you celebrate when you kind of can't? I would just watch Harry Potter. <laughs> I love Harry Potter and like I would be so happy like this is my way to celebrate like I, I'm not planning to go anywhere outside I would just chill down and have time with myself you know so a Harry Potter binge fest yes get popcorn and get I love Harry Potter I love it. And... there you go there yeah. you go alright Carrie enjoy 1850 I'm thrilled for her because she was so nervous on Friday so she's got her points she's going to do architecture and she's going to have a Harry Potter marathon to celebrate. Actually, there's a thing, because normally the leave inserts go out on the town and they go on the tear a little bit. But they can't tonight. So I'd love to know from any particular leave inserts that might be listening. Have you got a strange way? I think, didn't uh, Rory say he's going to go for an old surf, which is nice? Uh, Kerry is going to have a Harry Potter binge fest. Anybody else got a good idea how to celebrate the, 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 the leaving cert of 2020? The leaving cert that never, that nearly never was and now is. And here we are talking about it. Talking about the leaving cert at 185 The results are out this morning. The portal is slow, creaking, but still holding up, we think. And you know, already I want to pause and think because we've mentioned the fantastic results they've had in Christians with all those H1s and all those 625s and we're so delighted for Carrie who got architecture and that's not no small demand either but I want just to think for 10 seconds before I go to Atacan I want to think about the guy or the girl who just barely scraped it by the skin of their teeth and they are as happy this morning as they've ever been in their lives. And they're the ones, year in, year out, we see the newspapers full of pictures of people with maximum points. And we see the television news and the radio news, to be fair, full of people on maximum or huge record 625 points, this, that and the other, mostly the other. We never hear of the young lad who went off home on a cushion of air with his 400 or 410 points that was all he needed to achieve his dreams. We never hear of those kids, and we should hear about them. Let's go to Atacan. We, we talked before Atacan. Didn't you do your, your leaving cert last year, and you're in UCC now doing politics? Is that uh, right? Good morning. Uh, good morning, PJ. How are you? Very, um, very good. Good. Um, I uh, did my leaving cert in 2018, and, yeah, I got my preferred course in 2018, which was BSc Government and Politics in University College Cork. So it was in 2018. Yeah. So we talked. I, I suppose year. you looked at today. You did. You looked at today's or this year's leaving cert and how it was all done. I suppose now with the practice, I have a student of politics. Yeah. But well, um, 
Yeah, so um, yeah, I've seen like as I was talking with you last year about the leaving cert. That um, at the time it was like as you always say on the newspapers, it's always the headlines about the students that get the H1s and they get the eight H1s and they're cruising into college with their CEO points and they don't have a worry in the back of their mind. And like I have to say, first and foremost, fair play to them because it's hard work to get eight H1s, and I'm not taking it away from any student that gets eight H1s because it is a hard, hard thing to achieve. But the only issue I have is that the newspapers and indeed like a broadcasting, it's always kind of about those students that achieve the eight H1s, but it's never about the students that, like me now, went through a hard, hard time to get the points that I got to get into the college place that I wanted. But also I think another issue is that it doesn't even counter in people or students that have a good like ability in some subjects but in other subjects are kind of have huge weaknesses and they might end up going off to do a trade in carpentry or doing something in force and it never it never counters them in and I think that's we have a kind of a big issue in Ireland is that we have a policy of kind of just talking about the students that got eight H1s but yeah. we never talk about you know the struggles behind it as you were saying. Yeah, that's what that's what I was saying before I brought you on because I, I, I always remember going back to my old school as a reporter and being told there was this and that and the other number of H1s or whatever they were A's at the time and then being introduced to the one lad who'd barely scraped through, like barely scraped through by the skin of his teeth to become a mechanic and he was the happiest man in Ireland. Yeah. Yeah, well, that, those are the guys that don't get the coverage. Absolutely. Yeah. You you had some thoughts on the whole predicting of grades for this year. Yeah. Um, I just think that from the start and from the outset it's been a bit of a shambles because I think from the start that, like from the start there was a constant kind of policy of denial and very self-denial. There wasn't any, from the start, any clear, concrete and concise information given to people and students that were in 2020 leaving sort. And like, from the start, there was the minister at the time, Joe McHugh, the education minister. I remember watching an exchange he had with Labour TD, Ahan O'Reardon. And he said to him, uh, Labour TD pulled him up on uh, school profiling and said that this would be a very detrimental policy of predicted grading and Joe McHugh at the time denied it and said this will not be in our policy and that other factors such as gender, socio-economic status and factors such as that will not be taken into account but it turned out that that is the case that they will be taken into account and then Norma Foley continued this policy and kept denying it but in fairness then last week they finally realised that this will be there will be a big backlash to this because of what happened in England, yes. and they will have to drop this policy of school profiling. So I do welcome the fact that they did that, but I think it was a bit too little, too late. Yes, yes. You're also a bit concerned about, I think, the appeals system. In that, didn't didn't the minister say that the paperwork, the original calculating system, would be destroyed? Yeah, and. I was watching RT61 News the other day and I felt that that Norma Foley interview was very, very... I couldn't take anything conclusive from what she said because they, she was telling teachers to destroy material which could be used on the basis of evidence or for students to appeal their results. Like, in a chance now that students are not happy with their results, they can appeal it, but 
this year now, it's going to be really, really strange and awkward that what evidence are they going to have to appeal on it and what basis? Because, like, they probably know what they want to appeal it on, but they don't have any evidence to back it up. It's like going to court um, just to appeal some sentence you got and having no evidence to do that. Like, you can't do yeah. something and you can't, you know, appeal something without any clear evidence. And yeah. as well as that, I think the I also, I don't think who's getting enough attention is the 20,000 CAO applicants from 2019 who did their leaving sort in the fourth their year that they're not getting enough attention. Yeah, and but is, isn't it the case that if if they got a place last year and deferred it, their place is still safe? Yeah, but they're, they're still competing on the basis, I think, of this year's points and at the same time, like, they might have got their what they needed to last year, but they're in the end competing with 2020 students for places because at the end of the day, they weren't competing for places in 2019 because they decided to defer the year and in their own circumstances, that's completely fair. But unfortunately, they were the unlucky students that had the COVID-19 pandemic hit them and they face now this predicted grade system of 2020 students who, like, I don't want to say they're more lucky, but they're a little less hard, they have a little less harder time to guess into college than students that are from 2019. But obviously, of course, both sets of students have a big, you know, challenge to get into college. Yeah. All right. Listen, always good to talk to you. And tell me something, when you, you're doing politics there and, and government at, at UCC, is it enlightening you a bit as to how our country is run or how they tell us it's run? Are you learning about our system? Oh, absolutely. Is it like, making you sceptical? Absolutely. It's, it's completely made me sceptical of, like, I've learned how much of what's wrong with this country and that, how it's running the interests of the few and not the interests of the many, which it should always be. It should always be in the interest of 100% of the people, not just maybe the 2 or 3% who are lucky enough to be a bit more wealthier than the others and may have a bit more opportunities than the others. And that's why even my own area now, my own disadvantage area in Mayfield, I feel like there's a huge, huge disadvantage that we kind of compare to students that might have bigger opportunities and more kind of wealthier schools like, you know, Prez and Christians, like, fair enough, they did do their leaving cert and they did a great job to get their grades, but they have a big advantage on students like me in the north side who face educational disadvantage through being in a desk school and having not as much as much um, access to, you know, facilities to study and facilities to, like, even just improve on your own yeah. abilities. So I think, as you said there, I have been enlightened to how this country's run for the interests of the, the top and not the interests of those at the bottom. Do you think that I might one day pick up a ballot paper and see the name Uzun Atakan on it? You never know, you might, because it's um, coming close now. I have, like, I'm still, at the moment, I'm looking to run in the 2024 local elections. Like, nothing is certain and nothing is completely official. But I first want to run for local elections to Cork City Council in uh, Cork North East. And I don't, like, I might not be the most usual name that you might not hear a lot about. But I will be around, like, constantly on Twitter and Facebook and whatever other social media platforms lobbying the government on different issues, particularly students that are disadvantaged. And I'm going to keep this interview, Atakan. Oh, thank uh, you. And, and someday when I'm t- 
talking to Councillor Uzun, I might Hope. just play it back to you. You never know. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Now, um, it's going to be tough, but sure. Why? What? What in life is not tough? Why not? Look after yourself, mate. Take care of yourself. Thanks, thanks Cheers. for the interview. Me Thank too. you very bye much. Bye bye. Take care. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Watch that kid. Watch that kid. He's got brains. Uh, Donna Lera. Um, Cork South Central TD and Sinn Féin Education Spokesman. I'd say, fellas, like you'll be watching your backs with young, bright brains like that around Dunnock. Hey, good morning. Well, sure, maybe I'm lucky that Ozan is in uh, north of the river and uh, <laughs> he certainly seems very capable. Very bright uh, lad. How has it worked out, Dunnock? I mean, there were many fears expressed over the weekend as to how it might all be a complete disaster this morning, but overall, people seem quite happy. It, look, I mean, I suppose it will obviously take a few hours and maybe even a few days to see the full picture. Um, by and large, like, I mean, I do think it seems that teachers have done a professional job. Seems to be a bit of a glitch there for a few minutes uh, at the very start where the, the portal seemed to crash, which I'm sure was the last thing that anyone wanted after all the stress and waiting for it to open and everything else. Like, it has to be said, um, you know, we all talk about our leaving certs and people going about the leaving cert dreams and it is uh, our nightmares. Uh, and you know, the stressor is enormous, but like this year have had a tougher even sort than I think anyone can imagine. A pandemic, postponement, cancellation, and then all the controversy around the school profiling. So first of all, I want to congratulate the students for, for getting through this year. Uh, I hope that they got the results that they wanted. And for those who didn't, like there are so many options, more than ever now, there are so many routes. Mm. Uh, so if you're disappointed today, there are still many, many ways to achieve where you want to get to and many, many choices. Yes. I do think the greatest risk look we weren't fans of this, the calculated grades model we had a conversation about that at the time in May PJ um, I think there were better routes to take but obviously it got to the point that it was so late that it wasn't possible to change approach but we did welcome the fact that the element of school profiling which compared the results of school to the results in the past it was going to disadvantage students from working class backgrounds especially talented students or talented groups of students who were going to outperform the past results of their school. That would have been grossly unfair. I'm glad that that's gone. We still don't have the full picture, I suppose. They've published now, uh, I believe, the, the full uh, model, which we have been calling for. That's going to take some examination to understand it properly because it's technical and detailed. Mm. And we're going to see over the coming days um, how people's results compare to the result that the school gives, which may differ, and I suppose it will be Monday before we see that. Okay. In terms, and there was two categories of people who had previous leaving search. One was someone who did it, say, in 2019, got a place but deferred it. They're okay, aren't they? What was the other group that you were concerned about? Well, like, I mean, look, we've been raising this now since July, even before the school profile model was removed. We were concerned about it. Um, however, um, the ministers, because it does fall across both Minister Foley and Harris's briefs, um, have done nothing about it. I think that's worrying. It's obvious that there has been uh, an increase in the average grades. That's understandable in the context. Uh, and we don't have a difficulty with that. The problem is that there obviously needs to be specific steps to ensure that there is a there is a fair opportunity for those who did their leaving for okay. last year. Just to think, the is there that. someone, if, if someone did their leaving last year and got a place last year and deferred it, are they okay? They are okay. They are okay. But yes. What's the other group then? Explain that to me. Well, like, I mean, there's a number of different scenarios that people might be in. First of all, um, people who maybe uh, 
decided to wait like they might have started another course last year they might have had adequate points for so you know they they did a year of engineering last year and it didn't work out for them but they had enough points to do law last year and they decided to change tack and they decided to do law this gotcha. year but the points have increased beyond their reach but they would have enough points last year like we believe there's a, like, I mean, there are many people in that situation there's other situations as well um People who, by the way, people who came in from further education who done a course in the PLC or whatever, their roots is still preserved as well if okay. they got went down through that way. But what we think needs to happen is a number of things. Uh, there's about three options we sent to the minister: either ring fence places for people um, who who did the leaves of 2019, 18, uh, anyone up to the age of 23, ring fence those places, or um, measure them on the grades in the year that they start to leave cert, or increase the grade that they got, the points that they got in line with the inflation that's happened this year. We believe all three options are workable, but the Minister hasn't done anything about this and I'm a little worried that she's buried and they have buried their heads in the sand because, okay. you know, there's been no desire to tackle this, Sean, and I think that that's wrong. Okay. The, other we, people I, yes, the, the other people I'm thinking yeah, of today is people who didn't get a calculated grade for their exam. We believe that they should have had an opportunity to be estimated by an interview or whatever, uh, but they've got hate eight, uh, this today, as far as I understand it. I think that's really disappointing. I think that's poor. For the small category, it may be, but an injustice nonetheless. All right, leave it there. Uh, thank you very much, Donald Lera, Sinn Féin spokesman on Education, Cork South Central TD. The Opinion Live with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96 FM. Good response to Atticon. Nice lad. Nice lad. I spoke to him two years ago. Uh, all he wants to do is get into UCC and study politics. He's two years in there now and his next plan is the 2024 local elections. Having learnt a bit about how our political system works or maybe doesn't work, he wants to run in the local elections in 2024. I tell you, he's well able to, to speak for himself and to, to fight his corner. Roisin says, he great young fella, he'd get my vote on the subject of the people who didn't get the H1s and who don't make the headlines because they don't get 600 and odd points and my point about the, the person in the school who just barely scraped through and is walking around on a cushion of air this morning. Frank on WhatsApp draws my attention to a wonderful story and it is a wonderful story. It's a kid in Dublin. Uh, he was told he'd never be able to sit an exam. He has autism. Uh, he's just won himself a place in genetics in UCD. So don't write anybody off. You never know. <laughs> Jerry says, well done to all the students. They should get 80 of their friends now, organise a golf outing and a party afterwards. Should they be grand? <laughs> yes. Uh, here's a phone call. I'm not sure if you remember, PJ, but I did the even search in 1969... Well, okay, I didn't. It was well before my time, even. And after sitting English and maths, it was found that the essays were published on the examiner and some copies had been taken ahead of the exam. They forced every leaving cert in 1969 to repeat their maths and English papers again. 41 years ago, the stress was nearly the same as it was today. Wow. And the very same year, we've had two, we had two strikes by the teachers' unions. Crikey, I don't ever remember that. 1969, they had to resit the English and the maths exams. Crikey, that's 
a blast from the past. 1850-715-996. Now, on Friday, I happened to be out for a, with a friend for a bite to eat in, in one of the pubs in Douglas. We had a bite to eat and a couple of very civilised pints, a bit of conversation, and we headed off about, I think it was quarter to ten to eleven. It was a little sad leaving on the time you'd only be normally planning the next chapter of your night out but we had the grub and everything was nice and we were just wondering when will we be able to go to a pub and not have to eat when is it going to happen are they ever going to A. open the so-called wet pubs which the term does exist I'd forgotten it does or B. will we ever again be able to go to the pub and not have the scampi and not have the burger and just have a couple of points and a conversation well it looks like it's coming and coming soon enough uh, it may come as early as early as the 14th of September, although most people are saying it'll be the end of the month uh, when they'll do it. They'll announce it on the 14th of September and then they'll open around the 1st of October. Is that what you're understanding, Michael O'Donovan, from the, the VFI? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? I'm not too bad. Is that the understanding that the announcement will come next week and the date will be around the 1st of October? Yeah, well... Uh, our understanding is that the roadmap will be issued next Monday, uh, PJ, but um, as for a date in that roadmap, um, it's only speculation, to be honest. None of us really know. Um, and look, that's why we're here today in Carrig Line outside the minister, both ministers' offices yes. with two groups. Um, like we saw over the weekend that there was the, I suppose, the leaked draft proposal. They're not finalised proposals. They're not issued to us. But... Um, it's time, I suppose, that we, we, we took a stand because um, for a lot of us, you know, a lot of publicans that are out there, the supports that were issued two weeks ago were like, you know, crumbs off the table, really, because it's only equating to most publicans would be in licence band A. That equated to 40% of the restart grant, which is like €1,600. Euros, and if you divide that by the 25 weeks we're closed, yeah. that's like €64 Euros a week. Like you try and pay your ongoing costs, insurance, utilities, yeah. Um, and now we have the extra bill of heating kicking in now this month. Um, you know, sixty-four euros in a commercial premises to keep it's it going. Very small. Just it That's doesn't very add up. Small. You're, as I said, you're outside Minister Coveney's office in in Carrigaline. I believe you've been speaking to him in the last while. Um, yeah, unfortunately, well, his secretary came out to take a letter from from myself and the county chairman um, on behalf of the public in the court. Uh, we didn't actually get to meet the minister. Um, and likewise, uh, in uh, Minister McGrath's office, we, we learned that he's in Dublin, but his brother, um, Councillor McGrath, was there and took the letter off the group that were down at uh, Minister Coven, or Minister McGrath's office. Okay. Now, I'm, I'm looking in the newspapers this morning. Adam Higgins, the political correspondent in The Sun, has a good analysis of the guidelines. As I don't know if they're actually published yet, but he got a copy of what's proposed. Yes, yeah, they're not published yet. They're not published yet. Time slots limited unless you can do two metres. So if you can only do one metre, then it's a time slot. But if you can do two metres between tables, there's no time slot. Um, you'll still have to book a table, I think, or at least if you walk up and there's a table available, you'll have to record my name and my phone number and all of that for contact tracing. You've all got to be, all the pubs have to be closed at half eleven, which won't go down too well with the pubs inside in town. And a, a group would be a max of six people from no more than three households. Now, how is yeah. all that going to work? Well, PJ, the, the simple reality is 
they are the guidelines that the pubs that opened back in June have operated under. The 11.30 only came in the week before last, really. So there's nothing new in the guidelines. And like a question that uh, we've been had all weekend since we've seen the leaked document um, come out into the public domain is, why weren't we all allowed open back in June as we suggested and, you know, made it easier? The only difference between the guidelines that are in place now for the pubs acting as restaurants are, and the pubs that are closed is a nine euro plate of food. There, there's no difference in the guidelines for what we can see was the draft guidelines that came out to what's actually in place for, for those that are open at present. Yeah. So, like, it's, it's, it, I think the government, you know, who are the last outposts in Europe now, we've all seen I think the the map that's been uh, shared on social media for the last, I think, five or six days that yeah. everywhere else in Europe is now open. But we also open. know, Michael, when you look about it too, and yes, that's true, we're the last set of pubs in Europe to be open. But we, we know, don't we, when we look at Texas and when we look across Europe, where they, like, unfortunately, when people get a few drinks on them and they get a bit leery and they throw their arms around one another, that's where the virus... As a minister once said, the virus likes to party. It, it is, but PJ, look, the guidelines are there for a reason. And we now know, look, going through the doll this week, there'll be, um, I suppose, pros- prosecutionable offences if people are in breach of the, of the guidelines. So, look, if a pub is trading and they're not following the guidelines, there'll be sanctions there for it. Yeah. And also, the pubs that are open at, at present acting as, res- uh, as restaurants in the very few instances where people have been in and tested positive for COVID-19, there's procedures in place and pubs have closed down. We've had two here in Cork that have had to close down and follow the procedures right. and then get clearance and reopen. So, like, there's protocols in place, there's guidelines we're asking for them to be put in place yes. and just give us the opportunity to give our li- get our livelihoods back yeah. and get people out socialising for rural Ireland, like the... the talking to lots of people, you know, over the last couple of weeks, and I've travelled the length and breadth of this county, meeting publicans, like, uh, the, the, the mental anguish that they're going through the last couple of weeks, especially since the, the goalposts have been moved each time, has yeah. been really tough for a lot of them. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking in terms of d- distancing, like, how practical is that going to be in a place that is only the size of two decent living rooms anyway? Yeah, look, I'm a classic example of it, uh, PJ. Like yes. My bar in Kathleen is, uh, it's, it's like, it's a very small bar. Like, like what, what's your normal, what does the fire the fire officer normally allow you to have? Um, we'd be around 65 would be our normal. Okay, you know, so what will this allow you to have? Like, I would say we'd be somewhere down mid-20s at maximum, and that's if we do the, like, one-metre social distancing. If we go to the two-metre social distancing, it will take another, uh, uh, you know, I'd say we'll probably lose two or three tables out of that. Right. And like, it's also, look, I suppose on one hand, we've been asking for the guidelines and let us go. It will be very difficult. But look, I suppose at least if we get open, we can see how we're able to manage it and yeah. how we can, can go about it. And look, we, we have to learn to live with the virus. Sure. So look, in, in months to come, hopefully these guidelines will be eased. And if we get a... Uh, a vaccine, hopefully the guidelines... Hopefully. Might Do you know what strikes me as difficult, though, 
in turn, you know, and you said the guidelines are very similar to what the, the, the restaurant pubs are operating under, and you're, and you're not wrong there. But I'm looking at a, a time slot of one hour and 45 minutes. Now, if I've been sitting there for one hour and 45 minutes, you know, mowing my way through a decent plate of food and a couple of pints with it, I'm a lot more likely to accept that my time is up than if I've been sitting there for an hour and a half throwing pints down my neck and, and the, the alcohol has started to kick in I could see it being a lot more difficult to clear tables after an hour and 45 if fellas are getting a bit leery it, 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 it's, it's a possibility PJ but unfortunately like we will learn from experience on it but we haven't been given the opportunity to get there yet um, Look, the, I suppose we'll be I suppose, depending a lot on the public working with us as well yes. and I think the public have become very aware of the you know, the procedures that we will have to operate under. So, like, we will be, hopefully the, the public will row in behind us that they'll support their local public in the coming weeks if they yeah. get open when we get the date. And also yeah. then... Are you, looking, are you looking, finally, Sean, and or Michael, I'm briefing, briefly, are you looking for an actual date to be given to you and set in stone? Um, yes, we are, uh, PJ, because, look, we've been, we've been here three times before. We've got dates and we understand that uh, numbers have changed and the public health has changed. If if there is a public health, uh, I suppose, uh, outcry or a message coming out, we will follow what that public health uh, message is. But look, we're just asking for a fair playing field now at this stage um, with the guidelines that we've, that we've seen because look, they, put in, they put in place the guidelines. They have protocols for, as I said, for what happens if there is a case. And look, just give us the opportunity okay. and... Give us, let, the, let give us the rules and we'll work with them as best we can. Sean, uh, Michael O'Donovan from the Castle Inn, and of course the local chairman of the BFI, 1857 1596. Thanks, thanks uh, Michael. They're outside Simon Coveney's office in Carrig Line. And of course, Simon Coveney's office and Michael McGrath's office are virtually across the road from each other down there. So they've handed in a letter. They want a date. They'll go by the rules, they just want a date. And you know what? I think they're, they're kind of entitled to one at this stage. Now, Brian, the place back in the day when this radio station was located in another part of town, uh, I used to occasionally take a pint and a spot of lunch at a place called the Boot House, um, which is a lovely, lovely pub and hasn't changed much. And it's much, and it's what you'd call a good traditional Irish pub with all that goes along with that. And Brian Kenny, you've been closed now since the middle of March and it's been a hard old time. Good morning. Uh, good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Now, will you let me take a quick commercial break and we'll talk about your Facebook post and talk about the news over the weekend uh, as to when you might get open again. Yeah, absolutely. Talk to you in about two minutes. Thanks, Brian. 1850 715996. The Opinion Line on Corks 96FM. With the indoor self-service laundrette. Now at the Junction Vickers Road. Open every day to save you time and money. Selfservicelaundry.ie Question number 10. Who painted the water lilies? Oh my God. Uh, money. For 2,000 euro, who painted the water lilies? Oh my God. <laughs> you said Monet. Oh, Monet. You have just won two grand. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Well done. Oh, yay! €2,000. Euros. <laughs> Amazing. Thanks so much. Oh, my God, I'm shaking. Another winner. There you go. go, go, go. The Two Grand Minute 
Listen to play. At 7.40 and 8.40 every day. Casey and Ross in the morning. On Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Now, the term wet pub is one that actually dates back to 1900 and frozen to death, and I'd completely forgotten that it existed, um, but it does. And they are all the pubs now trying to look to open at some set date over the next few weeks. And no matter how you feel about the pandemic, and no matter how you feel about the infection rate, and no matter how you feel about the, the safety of doing it, these are family businesses, for the most part, who've been closed since the middle of March and are struggling. And uh, Brian Kenny from the Brute House put that struggle into writing on Facebook over the weekend. Thanks for holding there, Brian. Good morning again to you. Good morning, DJ. Yours would be a typical family-run local pub. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, I suppose we're 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 living in a small community, and basically you have um, the school, the church, the community centre, and the pub. Um, and you know, I suppose we're a vital link for people in our community. It's it's where people come to to meet and to catch up with each other, and that's been missing for the last six months, unfortunately. When you closed in March, how long did you think it was going to be for? Well, initially when we were asked to close, um, I think we closed on the 15th and we were told that it would be until the 29th of March, two weeks. Nice. And then, you know, two weeks became a month, a month became two. And all of a sudden it's six months later and the door is still closed, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. And had you any capacity to do food? Like, could you have opened with food? Um, the, the, the food situation for us, uh, for us is a bit tricky. We... We were serving food for 27 years yeah. until last December. Because I, I often had soup and a sandwich up there in the good old yeah, days. Yeah, yeah, I remember it well, yeah. Um, we were serving food for 27 years, and then we had a visit from our, our EHO, our health officer, effectively. Um, and they decided, in their wisdom, that after 27 years of serving food, we all of a sudden needed a staff toilet, which is something we hadn't previously had. No, we only had one part-time member of staff, and they told us that... Without a staff toilet, we couldn't continue to serve food. Um, so, so that was yeah. that was what happened to that. So, therefore, there was no there was no prospect really of opening on the 29th with with food. Uh, no, unfortunately, yeah, no. Yeah. So, like, talk to me about the reality of waiting to see when you can open that door. Um, it's you know it, it's really difficult because I mean the hardest part has been the the not knowing. Um, I mean. I know nobody has a crystal ball, but if at some stage during this process the government could have engaged Republicans and said, look, this is what's happening, we're hoping to have you open on this date. Now, I know that's happened previously, we've had three knockbacks, but, you know, we... we you know, we're just dangling there, waiting to be told when we're, when we're opening, and, and it's difficult. I mean, you know, we've done all we can to prepare the place. Every inch of the pub has been painted inside, outside, there's no flooring gone down. We've put in, you know, all the necessary safety measures... Um, we're ready to go when we get the green light, barring getting stock in and so on and so forth. But it's 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 the not knowing that's the hardest part. Yeah, and I think your bank manager has been as charitable as any bank manager could be, but now he's looking for money. Yeah, well, I suppose that's fair enough too. We owe bank money, and they have been incredibly understanding. We we are so lucky. I think we have. <clears throat> excuse me. We probably have the best bank manager in the world. Let's say um, he. 
We didn't even have to contact him at the start. He rang us the day after we closed and he offered us a three-month moratorium and he got in touch then three months later. But unfortunately, the bank's hands are tied now at the moment because by law, banks can only give businesses a six-month moratorium and unfortunately, that six months is about to end. So the bank's hands are tied, our hands are tied and we're hoping that maybe the government will intervene and negotiate something with the banks because if they don't, there are... Three and a half thousand um, pubs closed at the moment still um, with no capacity of repaying their mortgages. And, you know, it means that there's a lot of pubs are going to be defaulting. Um, It's going to affect our credit rating, which will have future implications. But as I said, our our hands are tied and the bank's hands are tied. It's, It's the government are the only ones who can intervene here. Like, I, I, I suspect that if they gave you a date, and let's just pluck out of wherever people pluck dates, the 1st of October. Let us just say that they allowed you to open again on the 1st of October. It would be, it would make business sense, wouldn't it, to tell your banks or to license, allow your banks to give you another break, to put actually put some cash in the bucket. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you know, it's... Uh, I mean... The, to be fair, as I said to the banks, to be fair, they can only wait so long and they, they have to go by, by, by the letter of the law. Yeah. But, but I mean, what's, I, I suppose what's going to happen is if we're closed for much longer and there's no government intervention, intervention, banks are going to have to foreclose on pubs, which I'm sure, you know, they don't want to do. But it's the reality of the way it is. And yeah, you're right. I mean, at least if, if the government came and said, look, you're definitely going to be open on this stage, we could then go to our bank manager and say, look, can we get a break until this stage and see what he can do for us then, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, we've talked from the start of all of this about things that people have missed. And I know that coming up against the reality of thousands of people sick, hundreds in hospital and nearly 1,800 people dead, it pales into insignificance. But people have missed so many of the little things in life. Things, that, And I know that up around that part of the, the city, it, it's almost as important as the wedding mass, the pint in the boothouse afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, actually, we had we had a situation with that over the weekend. There were two very good friends of ours got married on Saturday, and um, our our customers, they're you know they're very good to us. They have a tradition of of calling into us after they leave the the, the the church with their guests on the way to to the hotel, and unfortunately, we couldn't extend that courtesy to um, to Richard Nashling on on Saturday. Um, thankfully, the 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 groom and his his party, his his father, his best man, his groomsman, did call into us for a few photographs, um, but we couldn't even offer them a point, unfortunately. But yeah. and I know, you know these are small it, it, these are small things in the real world, but they're big things to the people concerned. Absolutely, I mean it's it's you know these, these you know they're memories that people have for the rest. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Their lives, their wedding day and what they did on their wedding day. And, you know, we will only be a very small part of, of, of their memories now. Um, you know, only a small part of the wedding party got to visit us. And, you know, it's very important to us as well. Um, I mean, we're human. We, we interact with people. People are very important to us. And, you know, to be denied that, it's, you know, it's, there's a big hole there, really, when, when yeah. we miss out on these things. Yeah. You, you, you remind us in your Facebook post that the pub goes back to possibly, that as far as back you can recall, 1773. It survived the famine, two world wars, recessions, the smoking ban, and several no's. And is this the toughest challenge that you can face in your, in, in your, in your life's work, Brian, or have faced? Um, yeah, without a doubt, PJ. I mean, the boothouse is um, the boothouse is two hundred and fifty years old, uh, nearly. Um, it, it's probably older than that, um, but we we haven't documentation to prove it. But we we can go back as far as seventeen seventy three. But um, yeah, I don't remember a time like this ever, to be honest. And I mean, you know, uh, I'm here a long time. My family are here a long time yeah. before me, and um, I, I never remember a time like this. Uh, as as I said, it it survived a couple of world wars, serious recessions, the famine, um, and survived and came through. But you know, these are very difficult times. And if no, I know there's there's a real uh, ray of hope there now at the moment, and um, there'll be an announcement next Monday. But if our date isn't soon, we really don't know how much longer that we or other publicans who are closed can hang on. You get worried. Um, yeah, I'm not a worrier by nature, but after six months, you know, you, you, you do start thinking, all right, and it's yeah, it is worrying. Well, here's hoping that 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 it won't come to anything, that, and that eventually you will get open and you will be able to open what is one of. And as I said, I haven't been there in a long time now, but one of the most beautiful, true traditional pubs in Cork. Thank you, Peter. Cheers, you. Brian. That's Brian Kenny from the Boot House. And when it's open, go up and support them because it's a gorgeous pub, a gorgeous, gorgeous pub. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Frank says, "Wait now for the big chains that are trying to buy up licenses everywhere and use them in urban areas." Uh, the likes of, I think, Witherspoons. But actually, believe it or not, I've been reading this across the summer and Fergal was directing me to some articles. Lidl are getting into the pub trade, believe it or not. Lidl are getting into the pub trade. And apparently how it works is Lidl open a store and they put in a unit next to the store and they run a pub. This is happening apparently all over Europe. I wonder. Crikey. You ever hear the like? But Weatherspoons is the one that comes to mind. 1850-715-996. Actually, can I mention, while I have that thought in my head, my old friend, Chris Keating. Um, Chris is a, known affectionately as Mr. Cranky to all of his Facebook friends. Chris has, said, I believe, recently departed Weatherspoons for a new chapter. 
And uh, congratulations, my friend. Wherever that is, we will talk soon. The best luck to you and Janet. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Junction, Vickers Road, Supermarket, Solid Fuel Depot and a self-service laundrette. Your one stop for everything. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Triscoll Christchurch will be open for three days a week during September on Thursdays, Fridays and Saturdays. For more information on exhibitions and live music coming up at the venue, check out triscollartscentre.ie. Access all areas. Jenny Green and the RTE Concert Orchestra's Live at the Marquee show for this summer has been rescheduled for Friday, June 25th, 2021. Original tickets are still valid for the new date and it's one of a growing number of Live at the Marquee shows that have found new dates for next summer. Access All Areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. On Cork's 96 FM. And I knew one of these would come in. And I imagine there will be others. Hi, I'm a Leaving Cert mum here and I'm furious. My daughter constantly got 85% in every exam from fifth year in two particular subjects. Never under 80%, ever. Leaving Cert result, H3, 70 to 79 how does that happen? Clearly, she's a victim of the class ranking system. How else can they explain it? Well, bearing in mind, she didn't do a paper. This was an estimated grade. Went from her school, as all the estimated grades did, went from her school up the line into the department. The apartment applied whatever model it applied to standardize it, and she gets down, down a grade. You can see why you'd be annoyed and aggrieved at that. I wonder how much more of that is out there. No doubt it'll, it'll come to the fore over the hours and the days ahead. 1850-715-996. Later on this morning, I'll be letting you hear an interview with Dr. Matthew O'Toole from the National Council of Medical of, of General Practitioners. And part of that interview is where he asks us to tone down a bit on the daily announcement of numbers. And I've been giving it some consideration over the weekend, and I've gotten very fond of doing things like the two-week totals in Cork. And I will continue to do them, but not as often. Not as often. And certainly the daily figures they're talking now, and there's a lot of support for it over the weekend, the daily figures. Let us not have this daily bulletin every day at quarter to six that drops in all the various places like the Journal and RTE and the Irish Times and Virgin and all that. The numbers come up every day at quarter to six. And uh, that, among other elements in that interview, Dr. O'Toole says we're coming, uh, beginning a little bit, just a little bit weary of that. And it kind of sends out the wrong message to people too. That's to come. But first of all, do you remember last week, speaking of numbers and statistics, I had a long conversation with Dan on the opinion line. Dan had asked us to look into a statistic that he picked up from the Center of Disease Control in the United in the United States and where they said that of all the people who died in the COVID-19 pandemic only 6% of them actually died solely of COVID. That everybody else had some kind of an underlying condition or a comorbidity. And some people had several comorbidities. When you hear that word, by the way, it just means underlying condition. Some of them had underlying conditions they never even knew about. 
until they got the blasted COVID. But so far, this statistic from the Centre of Disease Control was that only 6% of those who died in America uh, had nothing but COVID. And Dan insisted that that was a game changer. And I tried to get him to tell me why. The figures from the United States suggest, they don't suggest, they say that there's under 7,000 people, according to the American CDC, have died from COVID only, only COVID, right? Okay, we accept that. We do accept that, by the way. Right, now, what the, the great news about it is, from my understanding, PJ, right, if the corresponding figures are similar for the Irish deaths yes. and Irish cases that in Ireland something between 60 and 110, 120 people have died from okay. COVID-19. And nothing okay. else. And nothing else. Okay. No. Now you then said that's a game changer. Why? Because we we have been stuck on this figure of 1,777. Maybe it has gone up one in the last day or two. I don't know. But we've, this is an interesting figure. 1,777. Uh, that's the number of quote, COVID-19 deaths that the media is reporting in Ireland. Now, okay? each, well, you would accept, and just to, you would accept that each one of those 1,777 is a real person, would you? With Absolutely. a real family. Okay. Absolutely, yeah. And would you accept that the majority of those 1,777, I'm not saying would be, but may well be still alive even if they're sick, may well be still alive if it wasn't for COVID-19. I can't tell you that, and I'm not being anywhere hesitant about it, PJ, because we're, like, this is going back now to your earlier interviewee, right, the epidemiologist gentleman, right, who, whom I, I respect, and I, I'm not in any way kowtowing what he said about actual, actual facts, right? I have no idea if somebody last April died and on the death cert, it says COVID-19. I have no idea, and neither have you, that that person would have six months, six years, six days, Correct. six minutes to live. Correct, but they were entitled that. to every last bit of it. They were entitled to every last bit of it. Okay. And they got this virus, and it hastened their death. Uh, it was one of a number of comorbidities yes. that would have been, that would have been listed. It, yes, okay. and it hastened their death. Uh the comorbidities may or may not hasten somebody's death. Okay, you could have like in the US, the ninety-four percent of people who didn't die from COVID nineteen, ninety-four percent—that's one hundred sixty thousand of the one hundred seventy thousand people who reported died, you know, COVID nineteen deaths. Over one hundred sixty thousand of those, PJ, uh, had an average of two point four. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Would you? Would you? No, do, no, do you? Do you accept that their death is as important as anybody else's? What are you talking about? Because you still, Dan, you still haven't made your point. I've been with you for fifteen minutes. You still haven't made your point. You said the six percent is a game changer, but you haven't told me why. Because instead of one hundred seventy thousand people in the United States being COVID deaths. Instead of 1,777 people in Ireland being COVID deaths, the actual... They're COVID-related deaths. The actual nails-down number of, of COVID-19 from deaths in the United States is under 7,000. And extrapolating out, in Ireland, that number would be 
somewhere between 60 okay. and 120. And if I was there to this time, I couldn't figure out exactly why that was an important point. Councillor John Maher uh, tweeted uh, that you ne- you nearly crashed the car, John. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are things? Good. Now, you're, you're a diabetic, so you've had to mind yourself big time. I did, but just as much as anybody else, PJ. Like, I mean, I think, look, I think we, we you know, Dan is box office for yourself when he comes on, but... COVID has affected everybody. Yeah. And for anybody to come on and say, you know, something like he said is really, I think it's silly. Um, I mean, you know, whether you own a business, whether you have a family, whether you have loved ones, you know, it's affected everybody for six months. And the country um, and the world has, has come up with a new plan. We're doing things differently now. And I don't think that you can underestimate what COVID has done. And I don't think you can be little. Um, I don't think you can be little anybody's death. Um, with or they had an underlying issue. Now he's in, um, he was insisting, to be fair to him, that he wasn't doing that. And I should also mention, I spoke on the same programme to Dr Zuber, uh, an epidemiologist from UCC, who said that is, the statistic about only 6% just dying of COVID, that's a true statistic, but to take it out of context is wrong. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, and I think it also shows you know, that what we're dealing with with COVID you know, where it's not this made-up thing. It's not. It does affect people. And if you have an underlying issue, you need to be per, you need to be careful. But I think now everybody is doing things differently. And I think everybody's minding themselves now because if you look at the statistics that you said in the intro, you know, we're finding now that it's 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 majority are under 45, 70 percent. They're 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 about mm-hmm. that are now getting it. Whereas early on in this uh, in the pandemic. It was older people were concerned. That's not the case now. If you look at the numbers that are coming in, so I think people shouldn't take it for granted, and I think everybody should be careful whether you have an underlying issue or not. Yeah. Um, I think that that's the important thing. The one thing I would advocate, and it's something I never did, PJ, but was is, is get the flu jab. I used to always think I don't need to get it. I'm grand. I think this year we need to be a bit mindful. Is that if we do get a second wave, or if we do. Um, it, we don't want to put pressure on our hospitals and I think by doing something like getting a flu jab if you've an underlying issue I think that's a positive thing and I think it's something well, that will help the frontline workers whether, whether or not you have a, an underlying condition we 100%. should all consider it you know no, 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 100%, 100% and I think that's the type of way that's the way we should be thinking though and more importantly is that if we all do that I, I believe that will help when it comes to November, December or our traditional flu months yeah. I believe that will help us with, 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 with COVID as well. And I think that's a little thing that everybody can do that will help our frontline uh, workers, it will help our frontline services. And, uh, and I don't think it costs an awful lot. You know, it doesn't take up an awful lot of time. It can be done in your GP, it can be done in your, in your pharmacy. Yeah, we were uh, talking to the pharmacy about it last week here, and it'll be yeah. coming in, I think, in another couple of weeks. I, I happened to be in town on Saturday afternoon, John, and I didn't see this one because I was attending the Debenhams demonstration. But outside the library Saturday afternoon, there was about an hour-long uh, event, uh, and I watched it back on video with my head in my hands later on. People who completely deny this COVID-19 pandemic and they tell you not to wear a mask and don't listen to rules, and it's all made up, and it's all down to 5G. Like... Dan can analyse figures and, and take whatever he wants all day long. but And there kind of is no harm in that. But this other thing about it's all a joke, it's all a scam. But where, does, where do we, people get off that? Oh, PJ, I don't know. I suppose what I say to people is that 
first of all, I'm actually in Holland at the moment. I'm in Galway, and I can just see the amount of people that are wearing masks, that are washing their hands, that are sanitizing, that are keeping the distance. We're not doing that just for fun. We're doing that because it's a very serious pandemic here, and we we all know somebody, or we, you know, we know business is affected, and I think that's what we need to bear in mind. Like, and I'm being honest with you, PJ. Let's let's give them. Let's say they are right. I've no problem wearing a mask. I think I think that's a good thing to do. It's a very it's a very small sacrifice or whatever you know that we have to do to make this better. But I, I think those people are wrong. I don't. I, the majority of people that I've seen and that I've come interaction with are all, you know, COVID compliant. They're keeping their distance. Um, and, and, and I think that's the way to go, you know. I think you can have your march. I think it's very silly. I think it's very dangerous. When you see it being linked to 5G, then I go, oh, please, just yeah. No, it, it is. And, and, like, and it, gives, it gives certain people a, a soapbox. And I don't know that those people have the, you know, have the, I don't think they have our welfare in, in mind. I'd rather go with the experts. The experts are telling us to wear a mask, to keep social distance, to wash our hands, and, and the other various rules of, you know, groups of six and, and, and all that. And to be quite honest, I'm happy to go with that mm-hmm. until a such time as we come up with a vaccine and we get out of this because we still, schools are only two weeks back. Colleges haven't been back yet. Hubs still aren't opened. People are still working from home. We, we, we've come a long way, but there's a bit to go. And I'm quite happy to wear the mask, keep yeah. the distance and wash the hands. I think that's, you know, that's the best advice. Just, I was talking to a friend over the weekend and I was chatting to the Queen Bee as well uh, the other night and I, I finally put my finger on it why this whole thing has bothered me as much as it has other than the, the risk of an illness in that it has taken from us, John so many things that make us Irish so much of our Irish culture our Irish way of living is gone with this blaster thing everything that we do that makes us quintessentially Irish. The session, the ballad session in the pub, the match that's packed to capacity. I mean, this is all Ireland month. The match that's packed to capacity, the gigs, the concerts, the weddings, the family gatherings, the wonderful crowds that we love to be in. Do you know, our our, our wonderful, spontaneous way of being as people. Our natural friendliness as people. Ah, there's a fella I haven't seen in 10 years. Shake his hand. Buy him a point. You know, sit down. God, I haven't seen in such a long time. That's gone. And that hurts. 1850-715-996. Also, the long COVID people that we spoke to in the last week or two, there was a very interesting piece in the Irish Mail on Sunday about it. It's very common. Very common. Okay, I mentioned Saturday afternoon. And I mentioned that I was honoured to go down uh, and meet and indeed briefly address the Debenhams group. Um, And it was only 24 hours after an offer of sorts had been put on the table. And we were kind of reading through in the newspapers what was in this. And it has to go to a ballot now. That's just how you do these things. But Valerie from Debenhams, I met you Saturday afternoon, Valerie, and uh, lovely to be there. And thank you again for the invitation. This thank offer, you for coming. This offer that's on the table, would you explain to my listeners what it is? So, okay, I suppose the easiest way to explain it is that for statutory redundancy, that comes to 10 million, 10, 10 and a half million. And that's two weeks. So for one week's redundancy, it would be 5 million. So for 1 million we're getting one day's redundancy per year we worked. One day? One day. Right. 
And obviously your union in following good industrial relations practice has to take that back and ballot it. Yeah, and what would, what would normally happen? So we, we had a meeting, on, a Zoom meeting on Thursday with our union. They did say about the million, right, which none of us were happy about. But this is, so there's going to be 500 euro put into the pot straight away if we let stores open in October. Then there'll be another 500,000 uh, put into the pot so that to make it the million. But that other 500 is only according to sales. And then... Net, net profit, we get 33 and a third percent of that. And that would be obviously after everything else is paid, staff is paid, the leases are paid, electricity is paid. So when we had our meeting on Thursday, we were told there would be a percentage, but we weren't, they didn't know what the percentage was. On Friday, without contacting any of the shop stewards, they put that out in the media. So we knew nothing about it. Right. And usually then what would happen is we would have had an, we should have had another meeting on Friday about this. We would have said, yes, I know to bring it onto the shop floor, as we know, out to the staff, the staff, and it would work from there. But they're actually going to put, send out the um, ballot papers and the information straight away right. without coming to us to see if we would agree to it. Right, so they've jumped a step, in other words. They've jumped a step because at different times. So... Th- like everybody, like Debenhams, like KPMG, everybody, they're using COVID as well. Yeah. Now, explain what 2 plus 2 is, because that was on your banners on, on, on Saturday. There's an <laughs> agreement there, isn't it? Yes, so there's there's a collective agreement since 2016, uh, 2 plus 2. So to, the first two is the two-week statutory redundancy, and the second two is our two weeks, the extra two weeks that we would be getting for every year that we worked. And that was the last collective agreement in 2016 in Debenhams. Right. And that's the one that you want him, you, you want that one. Like, that's still there. That's signed and agreed. Yes, exactly. And, you know, it's because England then went off and printed that they had more money in their account than what they thought they had, would have had. At this stage, they would only expected uh, 50 million. They have 45 million now in the bank. They're mm. very happy with themselves. Our redundancy will only cost 10 million. Yeah. And they're singing their praises for having that in the bank and they won't come. So the, mo- the money the money is there. The money is there, but they've just cut their they've just cut it away from us. They don't want to have anything to do with us. Yeah. The, the, the money is there to implement yeah. what was agreed in 2016 and Exactly. And so can, can you see this ballot passing the million at all? I would be very surprised PJ if it did. I would like to think I would like to trust people to look at it and see it what it, for what it is rather than what we should be getting. Okay. And when will you know the result? Or? Well, no, by the time it would take a good week. By So I'm assuming the offer will be sent out on Wednesday. The ballot papers will probably be on Thursday. So by the time people will get them, post them and send them back. So I would reckon within the next two weeks, if they yeah. go ahead with this. Day 161, the same number of days as the Vita Cortex workers. Yes. Day 161 is Wednesday week. Will That's you know? Right. Will you know by then? We don't know. We don't know. We we don't know at this stage. Uh, we're after writing to Jerry. All the shop stewards have written to Jerry Light, uh, telling him how we're we're very unhappy. So whether they'll pull this now and try and try and get another offer because once they've been telling us all along that there's no way we'll get an offer. We've gotten an offer now. We can work on that offer. Yeah, okay, okay. And you know? obviously the strike will continue. And the strike is continuing. Exa- and actually, you know what now? They're out in force. 
because uh, people are actually putting in extra hours now and everything because they were so fed up with the offer that was put out on Friday. Okay. All right, listen, we'll talk again, Val, over the next few days. Valerie Condon from Debenhams. That offer is on the table, um, but as you can tell, it's not what they want. The Opinion Live with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. Some responses to my conversation about Dan um, and the figures and Dan's focus on that one 6% cohort in the Centre for Disease Control and how the analysis based on just that 6% is a flawed one, according to the experts, according to the epidemiologists. Morning, PJ. It's quite alarming that the standard response to those who wish to analyse COVID data more closely are they're constantly accused of undermining the importance of people's deaths. We must be willing to discuss the data and the restrictions openly without this emotional blackmail. And that's from Ramon. Well, Ramon, I take your point. I absolutely do take your point. But when data is analysed, it must be analysed purely for what it says, not for what you think it might say or not for what you want it to say. There's an old theory in analysis of data and science and evidence that your theory should suit the evidence not the evidence suit the theory. Uh, and one is vastly different from the other. 1850 text to WhatsApp 083 396 the email opinion at 96fm.ie. Coming up in a while, uh, Dr. Matthew O'Toohill, a former president of the National Association of General Practitioners and the youngest ever president of that association, will be hearing from him about various things like masks and testing and parties and the figures. He's particularly concerned about how we continue to report the figures day to day. That's coming up later this hour. But first of all, I mentioned this on the air towards the end of last week and we never got an opportunity to address it properly. Eileen was on to us. She has birds nesting in her facious and soffit of her house since the start of July. Can't see them, but they make a fierce racket at night. She thinks it's unusual for them to be nesting at this time of the year. She can't get through to any rescue centres or any experts. I'm wondering if you could know who to contact about them and how long they might be there. And I had an experience myself earlier in the year where a family of starlings decided to nest in the attic of Coogan Towers. And they were grand. There were no harm to anybody. But by day, it was like the gospel choir from the Harlem gospel choir and by night it was like river dance and I opened my styra one afternoon to go up and get something out of the attic and there was one flew straight over my head so the man I rang for advice was our old friend from Birdwatch Ireland Jim Wilson Jim good morning to you Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Now, you helped me with that. And like you, you told me that the stage that I described, they would be gone within 10 days, then just block up the hole. You were absolutely right. So, so, so t- take, take Eileen's situation. They're yeah. nesting in the fish and sausage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, firstly, uh, this time of year is, 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 is unusual to, to have this type of uh, um, you know, uh, question being asked because normally they would be finished. But... Uh, Birds being, you know, opportunists, if the conditions are right and there's still plenty of food about, um, sometimes birds like starlings, and believe it or not, swallows, will have not just one family in a year, but might have two or even three. So so um, what what your listener has there is, is, is a late breeding 
Starling uh, family for sure. Because Starlings don't normally spend the night, for example, just randomly being indoors in a house, you know what I mean, under a fish or a soffit. They, they will be gone. They'll go off and they, they'll be in reed beds or, or in trees and that. So they usually only use houses, usually only use houses for nesting. Mm. So if she still has, if she's had them since early July, they, again, I might sound like a stock record, PJ, but they should be gone in about 10 days. Uh, you know, and, and I'd be very surprised if, they, if they're not gone even in the next, in the, within the week, because uh, they, they, they'll just get that, that brood out and fledged and gone. But but as, as I've mentioned before, the most important thing is then to go try and find where they're getting in. Um, they don't need a big hole to get in. They're they, they can squeeze into, I would say, a hole even smaller than, you know, like the diameter of a tennis ball. Yeah. You know, so you're not talking a great big gaping hole in, in, in your face or in soffit. But if you can find it, block it up now, because I, I've had lots of people over the years and they'd ask me about that. And I tell them to block it up afterwards and have a good look. And of course, the birds leave. Everything goes nice and quiet. And what do we do? We forget about blocking up the hole and when's the next time we think about it is the following year when they're all back in again and nesting again, <laughs> again in, 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 in your in your face and soffit so that would be my advice mm. is give it another give it another week or so they, they won't be, they shouldn't be there I won't say won't because as you know in nature they don't nothing in nature reads the books mm, <laughs> they, 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 they live by a whole different yeah. set of rules I, I think what you, what you said to me at the time when I phoned you was that I, I, I explained how noisy they were and you yes. said that's, that means they're, they're close to departing yes. Yes, for sure, because the birds will beg for food when they hear the parents arriving. They're, 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 they're hardwired to do that, so they all open their mouths up nice and wide, and they have yellow on the inside, so even in the dark, the parents can see where the mouths are, and they feed them all, so they, they, all, they, all, they will all be clamouring for food, and you don't hear that so much when, when, when the young birds are, are only a couple of days old, because they're too small, the, the sounds are very weak, but as they're getting closer to, to fledging and flying away from the nest, uh, they, they, they can be very, very noisy. And hopefully that's what it is uh, your, your listeners hearing. Okay. Finally, uh, someone came across um, a picture recently. I sent a picture. Mm-hmm. Someone's doing some work on their house, right? Yeah. And it involves breaking away the fascia and soffit. Yeah. And yeah. they found a nest, an old, mm-hmm. seemingly discarded nest inside yeah. it. Yeah. Can you take that out or is there some law about it? No, that's a very good, very good question, PJ. You can for sure, especially you know after the breeding season. Most definitely, you can, you can take it out. The thing is, you're not supposed to disturb them during the breeding season. But birds, you know, when we when we're kids in school, you know, the, the teacher will show pictures of. The, the homes of different things, like a house for us, and and then there might be you know a goldfish bowl for the goldfish, whatever, and and then you'll have a nest for a bird, and 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 many of us with the idea, most of us actually, that that birds live in the nest. You know, they'll always go back to the nest every evening for for their entire life, whereas in fact it, the, the nests especially for smaller birds, tend to be used once, throw away and, and build a new one next year. It's usually only the very big birds like herons and eagles and buzzards okay. that, that will use the same well, nest over and over again. If you're in the attic, you're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're in big trouble. So, so definitely outside of the breeding season uh, and like 
you know, it's from, you know, end of September is when it's really safe, but like end of August, usually most of them are finished, except like our listener, you get the odd late one. But definitely, yeah, if, if it's empty and there's nothing in it and there's no sign of activity, you'll also notice if there's fresh, there'd be fresh vegetation if it was something still building. You, you, you can definitely take it out. That, that has always been the way. Uh, yeah, right. for sure, for okay. sure. So your advice to Eileen is give it another week or 10 days and they should be gone. I would say that. And finally, by the way, anybody that's listening that has a nest box and that has been enjoying the birds during during our, 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 our when we were under the COVID restrictions, yes. remove the nest November, December. Right. And, and you have a better chance of birds nesting in it again the following year because birds won't, won't those, those small birds won't use the nest twice in a row, usually. Right. So it's better to take it out. All right. okay. Jim, Jim, as always, thank you very much. Jim Wilson of Boardwatch Ireland. Uh, Eileen, give them another week or ten days. The louder they get, the more likely they are to leave. Would get up then and find where they got in and block it up. It's amazing the 110 uses you can find for an old piece of deck board. Let me put it that way to you. 1850 Now, over the weekend, there were some very high figures for COVID-19 infections. Some of them scarily high. Uh, new infections of 200 and something was it on Saturday and less yesterday, 100 and something. One of the figures was the highest since May, if I remember rightly. It was even the highest since April, if I remember correctly. And and it's it's caused people to worry about a second wave. It's caused people to worry about another lockdown. It's caused people to worry about quarantining, masks, and all sorts of things. And Dr. Matthew O'Toole is a former president of the National Association of General Practitioners. In fact, he was the youngest ever president of that association. And he gave an interview to our colleagues at FM 104 in Dublin uh, about various elements to do with the figures and masks and all of that. And starting with, I guess, you know, when will all this be over and why is it so important to quarantine that's where we started and that the start of this the sound quality isn't perhaps the best but it does improve after about a minute so just bear with it i have noticed that a lot of people have gone on holidays a lot of people have either gone on the green list or they've gone somewhere they're not supposed to go and their biggest thing is oh sure look i'll go home i'll go straight to the hospital and i'll get a little test if I turn out that I'm negative, I can just go to work or I can hang out with a friend or I can go into town. Why have you to quarantine for 14 days if you get off a plane? Yeah, so really important. So basically, it can take up to 14 days for you to get symptoms of COVID-19. So that means that you could be literally in the airport and you could become infected with COVID-19 when you're on the way home. Um, but you could be totally fine and have no symptoms for up to two weeks or 14 days. And that's why people need to self-isolate for 14 days. The reason why getting a test is totally pointless is, let's say you get a test on day two. That will tell you that on that day that you had a test, you did not have COVID-19. But it doesn't mean that you won't develop COVID-19 the following day or the day after that. So the reason why when we're contact tracing people, we test them. So if, if you get contact traced, so if somebody rings you and says, you've actually been in contact with someone with COVID-19. So we're going to test you today and we'll test you in 10 days time. That's the reason we do that because we'll test you today and you might be negative today, but in 10 days time, you might be positive. So there's no point in getting a COVID test. It doesn't protect you against having to self-isolate for 14 days. All the COVID tests will tell you you don't have COVID today, but it doesn't mean that you definitely won't develop COVID in the next 10 to 14 days. So you have to self-isolate for two weeks because you could develop symptoms at any point over those two weeks. So the next thing is, is house parties. 
Like, I think nearly every weekend there has been some sort of incident, whether it's been outside parties, inside parties, it has been people clumped up together. From your experience of what you've seen over the last while, why should people just say, you know what, let's bin the parties for a while. Let's just, you know, we'll meet as many, you know, like three or, three or four people. Like, what, what would your advice be to people who are going to plan something this weekend or next weekend or the weekend after that? The problem with house parties is that people are basically in really close settings and they're very close to one another. So if you want to definitely not get COVID, if you put two meters between yourself and somebody else, even if that person has COVID, you won't get it. So that two meters is really, really protective. The closer you get to somebody, the higher the risk is that you'll pick up the infection. And the reality is that people in house parties, they're not even a meter apart. They're basically up against one another. So all you need is one person at that house party to have COVID. And it is so infectious. And because house parties, people are so clumped together, what it'll mean is that every single person within that room will develop COVID-19. And that's the issue with house parties. The other thing, obviously, is that when you bring alcohol into the mix, it's much more difficult to follow guidelines and rules. So the reason why the HC has come up with the figure of six people uh, is because, you know, if you get six people into a sitting room, it's relatively easy to distance them. So you can put at least a meter between them. And that means that six people can meet and they can meet safely. The problem with house parties is it's going to be far more than six people and it's the distance that's the problem. And I mean, look, it's difficult. I, I get that people are young, they want to have a life. But what we're seeing at the moment is a large number of clusters and the majority of cases we're seeing are in people under 45. And a lot of those clusters are related to house parties. So it is a problem. Um, and, if, you know, if people can just keep the number of people they're interacting with small and limited to six people within their house and socially distance from them it will dramatically reduce their risk of getting infected. So they're just risky situations. And is that a reason as well why things like everything shouldn't open up in Ireland all of a sudden? Is, is, this, is this why we have these steps, you know, so we don't have loads of people in a certain place at a certain time for loads of times? COVID is very simple. The way it spreads is through close contact with other people. So if every single person in Ireland stayed a metre apart from each other, we wouldn't have COVID. But the reality is that's not happening. And we know that because the number of cases are increasing. So in situations like, you know, um, closed congregated settings where people are closely packed, that's the ideal situation to allow COVID to spread. Now, the difference is outdoors is much safer because we know that, um, for example, UV light kills COVID, which is why when people are outdoors, the risk of detecting or picking up COVID is significantly reduced. So that's why up until now, we've been able to say to people, well, look, you know, you can have up to 15 people if you meet them outdoors. It's much easier to socially distance when you're outdoors and the outdoor setting means it, 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 it's much more difficult to pick up COVID. But yeah, that's the problem because all of these settings, there are people who are closely packed and it's the ideal environment for COVID to spread, unfortunately. And if people don't follow the rules, what we have to do is impose the rules on them through restrictions. Now, um, I heard a great term the other day, someone gave it to us, uh, mask holes for people who don't wear masks. <laughs> Does it drive you mad when you hear people going, oh, I'm not going to wear a mask. Oh, I'm not believing in the government. I don't believe in the doctors, the nurses, whoever it is. Like, what do you say to people like that who aren't wearing their masks, masks, or even who are wearing their masks, but you're still seeing their nose or they've got the visor up in the head? Like, when you see that, does that anger you? Do you kind of go, Jesus, it's a bloody mask, where is it? Yeah, it angers me, but it, it kind of worries me for them. And there's a few reasons. So if you're the kind of person you just don't want to wear a mask for whatever reason, you're like, I'm not going to wear a mask. The reality is that it's not you that's going to get in trouble. It's other people. So people that decide they're not going to wear a mask, they're being really selfish because they're not putting themselves at risk. They're putting everybody else around them at risk. So like wearing a mask, yes, it's about protecting you, but actually it's about you doing your bit for society and you kind of actually caring about those around you. 
if you're like, I'm not asked to wear a mask, what you're saying to everyone around you is, I actually don't care about you and I don't care about your well-being. And that's why wearing a mask, deciding not to wear a mask, I just think it should be a red line issue at the moment. It would be fine if we said, oh, you know, your man is putting his own life at risk. That's grand if he's making that decision. But the reality is he's putting everyone around him's life at risk. And that's why it's not cool with me or with anyone else. In terms of not wearing the mask properly, if you don't wear a mask properly, you're actually increasing the risk of getting COVID. So those guys that have the mask around their neck or their nose hanging out and they're touching the mask all the time, they're actually not only not protecting themselves, but they're actually increasing the risk of infecting themselves. So let's say um, you're wearing a mask, you're shopping in Tesco and somebody coughs on you. The mask is protecting you, keeping you totally safe, but the COVID is deposited towards the front of the mask. And if you're fidgeting with the mask and then you fidget with your eyes, you take the mask off and you touch your face, what was protecting you is now just after infecting you. So that's why having the visor up, all of that stuff, anytime you touch the mask, you touch the visor, or you wear it inappropriately, not only are you not protecting yourself, but you're actually increasing the risk of getting infected. And that's why that concerns me because like it's one thing wearing a mask, but if you're wearing it not properly, it doesn't work and it's actually increasing your risk of infection. It's mad, isn't it? It's like something so simple. You think you're actually doing well by actually having the mask on, but one slip as in just pulling it down or touching it. And like we've all done it, I'll admit it. Like there's been times where I've been like that and I'm like, oh God, here you go, taking it off again. Yeah, if you have to touch the mask and again, like I, I know everyone's like, God, you're just always giving out. But if you have alcohol gel in your hands and you just wash your hands, so what you do is, like, you know, we've all done it. The mask might be slipping or it's uncomfortable around your nose. If you have to touch your mask, adjust it and then just wash your hands again. And I know it sounds really weird, but like, actually, we should all have a bit of alcohol gel. I'm not saying, to be honest, anywhere you go, whether it's a pub, a shop or a restaurant, there's alcohol gels coming out of the walls at this stage. So like, we don't really have an excuse anymore. You can wash your hands all the time. So if you do have to adjust the mask, if your nose is itchy, do it, but then just wash your hands straight away afterwards. Yeah, like I, I think back in March, April, May, June, it was everyone was singing happy birthday, washing their hands. Are you finding that there's a, a slight slip now coming to that where people are becoming a tiny bit complacent when it comes to hygiene, as in washing their hands for 30 seconds or bringing the gel, the gel with them? Yeah, I think to be fair, like there's been a huge uptake in masks, which to be honest has blown me away completely. And that like anytime I get the bus, everybody has a mask now. Like anytime I go to Tesco, Dunn's, every single person is wearing a mask. So I think we're doing really well with that. Uh, I think we're doing okay with the hand hygiene as well. I, I think the one area we're totally falling down on is the social distancing. So if you think of in May, like we were really, really good at staying apart from people. Like everybody was making big efforts to just not get in people's way and to put one meter between people. And, and that was really effective. And then all the emphasis went on masks and I think it kind of went off social distancing. And I certainly what I see, like I live in Ranala, um, you know, I see people walking down the street, I see people in the shops, they're wearing the masks, but they're kind of really forgetting to stay away from each other now. And that's where I think we're slipping up as a society. And I just think it's a messaging thing where we just need to keep reminding people that, yeah, wearing a mask is really important. Washing your hand is really important. But actually the most important thing is just to stay away from each other. Uh, there's a couple of like words that have been coming out that everyone knew at the start and I said it to someone earlier on about community transmission and they're like oh what does that mean again will you just briefly explain the difference between close contact community those just those are buzzwords yeah. that everyone knows like what is community transition what what is that so community transmission basically is somebody who's picked up COVID and they've picked it up from the community. So they haven't picked it up from somebody that they live with or from a close contact. So a close contact is somebody that you live with or somebody that you spent more than 15 minutes with closer than two meters. So that's what a close contact is. Either a household member or somebody you've spent more than 15 minutes with who are close than two meters. 
Um, and if you, and so that, that's what the definition of that is. Community transmission basically means is that you picked COVID up in the community. So it wasn't from somebody you live with and it wasn't from a close contact. So not somebody that you spent more than 15 minutes with. And that means you could have picked it up anywhere. It means it could have been picked up in the shop, a pub or a restaurant. We don't know where you got it. So for example, uh, if you got a phone call and said, look, you know, uh, you're actually a close contact. We're going to test you. That means that we know that you spent more than 15 minutes with somebody closer than two meters or you live with them. So we're saying, look, you're at a high risk of getting COVID-19. Um, but if, for example, when you come into me as a GP, you have symptoms, I send you for testing. And then I talk to you and I look, I actually live on my own and I haven't been out in two weeks. So I actually haven't seen anyone. Then we'll say, you haven't got it from a close contact. You must have picked it up through community transmission. And the problem with community transmission is that's a much bigger issue because it, it, we can't control that because it's actively spreading within the community. At the moment, most of the cases are clusters. So what that means is we can say X was at a house party and everyone around him got COVID. We know how he got it. They all got it because they attended that house party. But the community transmission means that somebody got it from just being a member of the community. And we, we're not quite sure who they got it from. And the problem with community transmission is it affects everybody. So at the moment, most of the cases are people under the age of 45 because of the house parties or the ones that are socializing most of the restaurants. But once community transmission starts increasing, then people who are following all the rules they still get, they, they, they can pick up COVID-19 because it's actively spreading within the community. And the proportion of cases that are due to community transmission is kind of steadily creeping upwards now. And, and that's a big problem. And um, <clears throat> another thing as well that um, I wanted to talk about was about the people who aren't thinking it's real and all that. Like, how do you deal with that personally yourself? The likes from people, because you're very vocal on Twitter. Have you noticed, mm. how do you deal with that yourself? Personally, how do you deal with it? Because is there a way you can just block off Twitter and go, right, I'm finished now. Or do you kind of always look at it and because you do get it like you I've seen the abuse you get like it's just, I think mm. Twitter's a cesspit full of people who can you know feel like they can say anything to anyone. How do you do with a person? Yeah, yeah well, to be honest, like in terms of the the abuse, uh, to be honest, at this stage I ignore it. Uh, like it's really unusual that somebody that I know is genuine. Most of the time, they're just people who are unidentifiable, and I'm totally okay with that. I think if you want to give me abuse, the the, best, the least thing you do is actually identify yourself and prove yourself in terms of who you are. So if they're anonymous, I couldn't care less. Um, what I find difficult about it is like I've had patients die of COVID. Um, I've had loved ones become really unwell with COVID. I have a lot of colleagues or the nurse or doctors who are still really sick from the after effects of COVID. So when people say, you know, COVID isn't real, it just annoys me because it is. It's very real for those of us who work in the front line, who've had patients die, who've had loved ones become really sick or who are friends and colleagues who are still really sick from COVID. So, you know, I, I don't get angry. It just kind of upsets me. Um, and look, there are always going to be conspiracy theorists, no matter what the cause of it is. But you know, most of the conspiracy theorists, to be honest, it's all bullshit. Like the, the masks one that's constantly being bandied about is that, oh, it'll damage your oxygen levels or all this kind of stuff. Like that's been so disproven so often that like it's not worth my while fighting it anymore because it's so obvious that like, I just don't see it. It's not worth my while engaging with these people because I don't think anything we say will satisfy them. But it just, to be honest, it upsets me because I've had firsthand experience of how horrific this virus is. There's a lot of people out there now who I'm finding that are petrified. Like, they're absolutely petrified. Mm. You know, like, they've done everything. They've either, like, for old people, they've cocooned. For moms and dads who have kids who have, you know, they've been very good. They've been working from home. The kids have been with them 24 hours a day. Now they're starting to leave. Like, is it worrying that there's a lot of, you know, anxiety now at the minute in, in the in the public? And like, do you know what? They probably are because of what has happened over the last while. Would you be worried about that in the next six to eight months or even year of people who are getting very nervous? 
Yeah, so I suppose I'm seeing a tsunami of mental health issues every day in my surgery now, and people are really, really anxious. So, so like reducing the number of social interactions and staying away from people is really, really bad for your mood and really bad for your mental health. So, the situation where the advice we're giving people is to, to you know, to, to limit the number of interactions that you have, um, and this constant fear. Like one thing that really irritates me is the daily updates and number of figures. I just think it's really harmful at the moment because it's causing huge anxiety. And I see it on social media, they're like 217 cases. The whole world goes hysterical. Then the following day, it's 42 cases. And they're like, it's great. It's all getting better. And then the following day, it's 100 cases. And it, no one can make any sense of it. It's up, down, it's up, down. I think it'd be much more helpful to release weekly figures. At least people could digest it for that day and then move on. Um, so yeah, so to answer your question, we're seeing a huge amount of anxiety and a huge amount of depression because of COVID and because of the guidelines which are forcing us to, you know, live with COVID and be antisocial if we want a better word. Like COVID is a social disease. It, it loves spreading through amongst people. And what we need to do to prevent that is actually really harmful for our mental health. So I'm seeing a lot of people who are, for example, working from home, who work for tech companies who are really struggling. They might not be Irish. They had a good social network at work. And now all of a sudden they're spending their whole week in their room, in their house. And that's really bad for your mental health. So what I would say to people is, we're seeing it all the time. Uh, it's really important that people try to get a work-life balance. When you're working from home, you can dedicate your whole life to work, which is really unhelpful. They need to get out. Limiting your social interaction doesn't mean, you know, cutting off all contact with humanity. It's important that you have mates and it's important that you meet them. Um, but if you're struggling, it's important that you reach out to your GP. So people are reaching out to us as GPs more than ever struggling. There is a huge amount of support out there and there's a huge amount of kind of support and counsel that we can give them to help. In terms of the older people, they're completely terrified. And I totally get that. I have patients in their 70s who are literally cocooning for the last six to seven months now. They're terrified of getting COVID. And I totally get that. The reality is it's very difficult to reassure them because we know that people who are older, the risk is much higher when you get COVID. And I can't tell them not to cocoon because cocooning is the safest thing for them to do. I think what we're doing as a society is supporting them. So I have a lot of neighbors who are checking in on their elderly relatives. And I encourage people to do that and maybe doing their shopping for them. So I think what COVID is kind of forcing us to do is to think about others and not be selfish. And so what I ask my younger patients to do is to maybe pick one or two people that's in the neighborhood that they know is over 70 and just check in on them, give them a shed once or twice a week and offer to do stuff like get their medicines and get them shopping. Like those little things will really go a huge way. And I think it's on our generation, the onus is on us to number one, follow the rules and behave ourselves but also to kind of give back and help those around us. That's what I would like to think will happen going forward because we have another two years of this to look forward to. You think it's going to be that long before even like a vaccine or anything like that, you know, that we adapt to it? Yeah, so I think like, I mean, the quickest vaccine we ever developed was 10 years. Um, I think what's different this time around is that normally the pharmaceutical companies compete against one another to create a vaccine and because of COVID, they're actually working together, which is incredible. So I think that we may see a vaccine within two years, but I, I think when you think like we're going to have to vaccinate every single human on the planet, I, I think it's more realistic that it'll be about three to four years before this goes away. Um, we're not going to develop herd immunity to it uh, until we get a vaccine and we may be able to develop a treatment, but the reality with the treatment is you only get that when you get really sick. So what we want is a vaccine. And yeah, I, I'd love to be able to tell you that it'll be grand in a year, but like if I was being honest, I think it's going to be between two and four years. And that's an awful thing and no one wants to hear that, but I think that's the reality. And unfortunately, it's those kind of harsh realities that we do need to hear. Thanks to our colleagues at FM 104 for that interview with Dr. Matthew O'Toole. It's very relevant, really. You know, this thing hasn't gone away and probably won't for a considerable 
period of time and it's kind of the way it rocks up and hits you in a way you weren't expecting like we've seen this email this morning from Skull Rita Eglinton uh, the one out in Douglas Road they've sent an email to parents this morning confirming that there is a case within the school community so it's out there and it's in our it's in our lives and it's going to be part of our lives for a very long time to come unfortunately 1850-715-996 now Kevin is suggesting that on Twitter that you know by engage excuse me excuse me guys I was eating an apple while the interview was playing and it's kind of gone stuck by engaging with the conspiracy theory arguments you're giving them oxygen by default ignore block and move on partly agree with you Kevin I partly agree with you but sometimes by talking to them they'll expose themselves as gobshites without us having to do it which is great 1850-715-996 John says hearing people call for a discussion on COVID-19 and the analysis of data there's no point in discussion if those involved are not qualified like virologists and epidemiologists qualification in another branch of medicine doesn't necessarily mean being qualified in this. Well, no, analysis of data, John, analysis of data is just based on simple principles. And you use the data in context and you use the data properly. You don't pick a statistic from a list. You don't pick the one that suits you and run with it. That's not analysis of data. That's manipulation of data. Uh, 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Junction, Vickers Road, Supermarket, Solid Fuel Depot and a self-service laundrette. Your one stop for everything. Now, every so often, you come across an international story that you think has nothing at all whatsoever to do with us. It's just a maybe a half inch in the corner of the newspaper and you go, okay, that's interesting. That's interesting. I've never been there. I want to hope everyone's okay. And, you know, it, it, it's kind of you move on to the next page of the newspaper. But there's a story happening in Mauritius at the moment that has a relevance for people here in Cork. Uh, Abby, good morning to you. Hi, PJ. Good morning. Thank you for having me on the radio today. Good to talk to you. Now, remind listeners again, where is Mauritius exactly? Um, Mauritius is uh, off the east coast of Madagascar. Okay. So in the Indian Ocean. In the Indian Ocean. And that's where you're from, obviously. That's, I, uh, that's where I'm from originally. That's okay. right. And, and how long have you been in Cork? Uh, I've been in Ireland since 2008, but in Cork since 2011. And what is happening in your native land at the moment? It's it's quite a big story, but obviously we're not, we're not hearing much about it. Yeah, uh, well, in Ireland we've not heard much about it, but it's been on uh, uh, BBC, uh, Al Jazeera, all those medias, uh, even in Australia, in France and everywhere. But yeah, here in Ireland we've, we've not heard much about it. Um, so what's happened is on the 25th of uh, July, there's a ship called the Wakasho was traveling from China originally to Brazil, carrying uh, around 4,000 tons of oil uh, in its cargo hold. Uh, it did a uh, stop in Singapore, but then it changed course to Mauritius. And for two days, it was already in the territorial waters of Mauritius. Um, and the Coast Guard tried to contact it because it was coming directly to 
our shores, but they did not respond and things like that. In the end, it uh, wrecked on our coastal uh, reefs on the 25th of July, uh, and from 25th of July up until the 6th of August, there was nothing done uh, by the government in Mauritius to pump out the oil. And they've said that it was very low risk of oil spilling, apparently from the experts. The thing is that the government uh, did not get advice of experts of environment or things like that. They got the advice from the salvage team. And I think if you go and look, what is a salvage team? Is a, uh, it's a team that goes and uh, turn a wrecked ship yeah. and they make a profit make by... So, by by getting the content of that ship, they are not paid. That 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 what was signed with the salvage team, and the government did nothing. He's been saying the the, the prime minister has been saying that uh, it was bad weather, or, or then it was uh, uh, the advice of the expert team not to uh, pump oil out of it. Yeah, so it's been sitting there on the rocks leaking yeah. into a lagoon and leaking and of course Mauritius tourism is, is a principal industry there leaking into tourist areas and wrecking beaches and stuff like that and, and nothing's been done about it you say? Nothing was done for the first 12 days. It's only on the 12th day that it started leaking. So for the first 12 days it was sitting there but apparently the, the, the team uh, the salvage team said that it would be better to fill in some of the uh, cargo hole in there with water to stabilize the ship. And they made the part of the ship sit on the banks, on, on the sand, actually. Yeah. So that's what actually caused the crack in the ship. And then it and, and all of that. Now, yeah. um, what, you... you are obviously very upset that this is happening in your, in your native land, and you organised a protest last I, weekend, I, and you have been yeah, last weekend. I did one last weekend uh, in Fitzgerald Park. Uh, at the same time, same day, uh, they they had a protest in Mauritius where there were over hundred thousand people mm. on the street asking for the resignation of the prime minister. And this is not just the the, the Let's say it's just a one-off occasion. This is, as we say in French, the extra drop of water that overflowed the, the glass of water. This is the extra drop of oil that, uh, do, like, darkened our sea. Yeah. Everyone was wearing a black shirt as a means of, uh, basically, it was a, a morning. For the country, yes, and you're you're organising another one this Saturday, the twelfth, at the GPO. That's that's right. Uh, I'm organising another one in front of the GPO again. Uh, and there's some Mauritian across Ireland from Galway, from Dublin. They they they've committed to come down. Especially the last one, you know, I I did it on my own. There was no one there. Uh, I did it uh, because I I have like. It, it, I have the feeling uh, that what ha- what's happening there in Mauritius, I can't go there. The, 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 the borders are closed and things like that. And that's my way of my contribution okay. to, to to what's happening there. And is there uh, anything, they, the, I mean, this may sound like a silly question, and, and pr- forgive me if it is. If there's a, is there anything that our politicians 
could do to push your government in Mauritius? That, that's the, the, the reason why I'm doing that, basically. It's to put pressure, interna- international pressure, be it media or governments abroad, to put pressure on them to do something about it. Uh, so after the shipwreck, there was another one of the tug that was actually uh, uh, pulling a barge that was carrying the oil that they've uh, got from the, they, they've skimmered from the, the water, the sea. Uh, they were pulling that from the southeast coast of the island to to the northwest coast of the island where the port is. And there happened that tugboat was carrying eight people on that. that uh, it actually sank. Oh, uh, and there's been four who were rescued. Three people died. Their funeral was yesterday. And there's still one, the captain of the tug, is still missing to date. That happened on the night of the 31st of August. Okay, okay. Well, look, I I want to give you an opportunity to to talk to us about what's happening in your native land. And, and Abby, Abby, thank you very much for that. That's Abby Bassanou from Mauritius, living in Cork. There's been this, you'll have seen it, it was in the sun, actually. You'll you'll have seen a small piece about this ship, the the, the Wakasho, I think you've called it, which ran aground sat there for days doing nothing but it had oil on board and by the time anyone got to do anything with it it had leaked and the oil is ruining the coast of Mauritius and the beaches and the fishing and all of that and he is here in Cork hoping that someone will help him to um, draw attention to it. Very quickly before we finish up I want to check in with Glenn Uh, Glenn has come to prominence through Facebook about his dog Sammy Hi Glenn Hey, how are you doing this morning? Good, good. How is Sammy? Sammy's well, thank God. Um, she's eating small bits slowly, but it's a long process to recovery. But yeah. she seems happy enough. She had to have surgery at Sunbeam. What happened to her? Um, she had a tumour, unfortunately. She's quite old, but she's still a lovable dog. and She's such a beautiful creature. Yeah. And I didn't have money, and the family didn't have much, so I, I decided to go on the street to try and get help. Right. And I'd like to actually really give a big shout out to someone really, really, um, that helped me so much and helped save the dog's life. And that gentleman's name is Mark. Right. He's from MT Fitness in Blackpool. Yeah. Great guy, great support, or great, um, a great admiration for what he done. You know, because yeah. if it wasn't for him. Sammy's life, Sammy would have been put asleep. Uh, I'm looking at a picture here, actually, on his Facebook page. Is that you with Sammy and another dog? Yeah, that's my that's my dog, Sandy. Sandy has her own website with about nearly three and a half thousand followers. Wow! If I can refer to that, her name is Sunny, Sunny underscore Sandy four twenty. Very good. Um, but a lot of people love her too, but they generally love Sammy also, Sammy's the big gorgeous, dog. absolutely she's a- gorgeous. She's absolutely now, stunning. She's had the surgery and, at Sunbeam, and, and hopefully she will be okay, but obviously it's covering the cost is the problem. You know, um, and, and again, I'd have to get back to Mark here again. If it wasn't for Mark and he's, he's, um, he's what he'd done for us, I, I could never express my, my words of gratitude, really, because everything is... How, all we need, really, looking around, really, is just a comfortable bed for her to lie on. It's just um, I'm using the old child's, one of their twins' old uh, mattresses at the moment. So 
she's kind of finding it hard jumping up down on the couch. So if we had a nice bed, you need a dog. You need a doggy bed. For, now she's a fair yeah. size, a fair sized dog. You need someone to give you a doggy bed for a dog recovering from surgery. Yeah, and she's she's very nice and very calm at the moment, um, and she loves she loves her. I take her out maybe three or four times. Home, like as per se, because I don't want to leave her alone yeah. after surgery. So I try to stay with her, even I sleep with her there now the last few nights just yes. to be there if she wakes up and leave her out to go to the toilet and what have you. Well, if anybody it's, wants to follow her story uh, on MT Fitness Cork, it's, it's all there. And if they want to donate to covering the cost, because you know, you just like not, not every family can put their hands on a thousand euro, and a, a beloved dog is a beloved dog. And I just want to say, I just you know, it's like a real honour to be able to accept such gratitude from people to help with my dogs. You you won't realise the amount of personal mental health problems I have and problems I have in other areas, but this was just one problem less. Mm-hmm. And I really, really, the people of Cork have so, so come together so much and I'm so happy for for for, for Sammy and for Sandy uh, for people's help, especially a, a, a lady called Ashley. Um, as well, I'd like to give a lovely shout out to her that she dropped the dog down. She collected the dog after surgery. She went to the shop yeah. and, and got two big, she got a big trolley uh, full of food for the boat. I mean, she definitely deserves a weekend away. Or herself and her, bo- and her boyfriend Brian did definitely deserve something special that, because that's they're special, that's really, massive special pe- people, really, really special really, people. Really, really rallied to it for you. Listen, I'm out, I'm out of time, Dan. I wish you well and I wish I wish Sammy well uh, and hopefully that recovery continues. If anyone wants to help, they can. MT Fitness Cork on Facebook. Quick mention for the lads at the South County was down there on Friday night. Uh, they have an Irish music session returning Wednesday evening. A little bit different with distancing and all that. You'll be having your grub with your pint. But the great Torcon will perform 8 o'clock on Wednesday, getting back slowly from Tom O'Connor. Delighted to see it, guys. Delighted to see it. And the scampi is to die for. That's it. Thanks, Fergal. Thanks, Katie. See you tomorrow, just after nine. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.